every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, and I'm your host, and I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, we've made it as far as episodes, let me check the numbers, 508, Shadow, and 509, Listening to Fear. And back with me again, almost as if he never left, Michael Holland. Uh, manager, <laughs> manager of television and special projects for Warner Brothers post-production creative services, which is one of the most impressive titles I ever get to say on this show. So thank you for coming back, just so I can repeat your very impressive title. Very kind of you. Thank you. I'm uh, always excited to be here. <laughs> so, um, all right. Uh, man, our last recording is so fresh in my mind. It's like we were yeah. just there. Um, all right. So how have you been, man, since we last spoke? Yeah, good. Good. I, I got a bottle of water and okay. uh, that's good. Stay here. We go. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Exactly. Well, I, one thing I did say off the air that I, I do want to give you credit for on the air is is you know one one you know you do say that wonderful bit at the beginning of, of fandom and academia and and I'm always a little bit um, uh, scared off by by the truly uh, brilliant and interesting people of academia on here because, and I'm not knocking it because I love it. Um, but you know, it's always just nice coming on and, and being with you, like just two guys talking about the show. It's, it's really just a lot of fun. So I, I hope interesting to other people, but I enjoy it. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, I, I, I love all of my guests. I love all the academics. I've said many times that uh, I have imposter syndrome, but I cannot avoid, I cannot stop hanging out with the slave people because they keep letting me hang out with them. Uh, but it is very intimidating, so I understand. Um, however, the name of the show is Conversations with Dead yeah. People. So anybody who can come on this podcast with me and just have a cool conversation about these things, I mean, it's it's great. So, And you you were fantastic. I love our talks. Oh, that's um, all right. Well, enough of the mutual admiration society. Let me, let me drop the dreaded spoiler warning for people who are just tuning in. So um, conversations with dead people, this podcast you're listening to right now is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and lots of them. So I recommend if, for some reason, somehow you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause, go do that. It'll only take you, I don't know, a couple weeks if you just if you just mainline it all the way through. Uh, and come back here. We'll still be here. We'll wait for you. Sure. Uh, in the meantime, with that out of the way, if you're ready, Michael, let's go to work. 
it's, it's funny. It's interesting. Obviously, we had just talked about uh, the other two, um, and they are they are big episodes. Yes, um, it's certainly in comparison to to, <laughs> to these two. Yeah, uh, but, but but I think also one thing that I may have even said on on air, um, quote unquote, last week um, <laughs> was that I, I had sort of forgotten how how much is in shadow, right? Or how much happens in it. Um, despite following something, some something as big um, and passioned and, and and dramatic as as Fool for Love, but there's there's actually a lot happening in this in this first of the, these two. There is a lot happening. I feel like uh, coming fresh off of um, Family, which as we as we famously, as our listeners I'm sure know by now, as we famously discussed, uh, Family is a much bigger episode than I give it credit for. I always think of it as I always think it's odd that that was a Joss Whedon episode because it just doesn't seem like that big of an episode, but it kind of was. It was an important episode, and obviously we both had a lot to say about Fool for Love, and so I'm a little concerned coming into this one uh, talking about these two episodes because they just don't. I just don't know how much I'm going to have to say about them, but each of these episodes, well, I, I, I don't know about <laughs> listening to fear. Shadow certainly has some significant stuff uh, that takes place in it. So, yeah, you know, and, and I, I don't want to call either of them filler. Everything, all episodes have a little filler and all seasons have a little filler. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think listening to fear is a lot more filler than, than shadow is. And we'll get there but, but you know what? I, what I find interesting about all the episodes when I rewatch them are, are just quite often the little moments that I go, oh, I'd forgotten that. That's really funny or nice or telling or a setup or paying off something. And and you know, and, and like I'd said, quote unquote, last week, um, you know, we're eighty-five episodes into the Buffy season, or the Buffy series. Um, and to be as good as they are, certainly the last two episodes, but you know, to be as good as they are, you know, eight episodes into season five is impressive to me. Yeah. Um, I think it was with, uh, I think it was Stephanie. Uh, so not last week with you, uh, but the episode before that with Stephanie, I think that's when it was, I was talking a little bit about how the uh the early seasons of this series were uh were and are kind of famous for um the hook being that there's always some sort of metaphor like the demons and the vampires and the monster of the week it always serves as a metaphor for some uh some high school trope or some some uh, moment of adolescence or whatever and as the series has progressed uh, certainly through season four and now into season five we're getting it feels like we get less of that we get less of the monster of the week episodes or the metaphor of the week episodes as i referred to them uh and the series has built itself more into a larger ongoing mythology and so um so yeah whereas in earlier seasons there might i don't know since they were all metaphor or monster of the week episodes it's hard to call them filler but those are a little more uh you know understandable in early seasons and now even episodes that might not be particularly stellar or might not stand out in your memory at this point in the series, every episode kind of does something. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and they all certainly, all the seasons have their through line, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. Season five for me is the first one that really feels serialized. Yeah. Um, it feels like we're watching one, you know, 22 episode story 
as opposed to episodic and episodic season. Yeah, I think season four wanted to be more of that, but as we as famously as I've discussed on the podcast, it had some pacing issues. But yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about Shadow, uh, which this is written by David Fury, um, who's uh, like one of the one of the big names in the Buffy verse firmament, uh, directed by Daniel Atias. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I th- I can't remember if it was on mic last week when we were talking, but uh, but you mentioned that uh, I think his name is Dreg, the little the the minion. Marshall is played by Kevin Weiss is played by Marshall. Yes, Kevin Weisman, which. Yeah. I I not I don't know if I ever knew that. Um, I I I did prior to this viewing, but I don't. I'm trying to think. Did I watch? Was Buffy before Alias? Yes, it was. Oh, so then yeah, we would we would not have known that then, or we wouldn't have met anything. I I watched Felicity phenomenally later, so I didn't even have a point of reference of him being in that. I, I only knew him as, as Marshall. I totally forgot. Dang, I forgot he was in Felicity, and I did watch that. But yeah. oh well, shame on me. But I love him. I mean, oh, I love I love Dreg just because it's Kevin. <laughs> yes. I mean, he's a he's a he's a fun character. Dreg is a fun character. Um, anytime we get a a sniveling, uh, you know, worshipful minion, they're always fun. Um, all right. So, what do you, how do you feel about Shadow? Shadow, you know, it's funny. I, my first kind of reaction coming off of it this time was how impressed is is almost too big a word, but I was impressed by what kind of the director and the editor and everybody, all of them, uh, were able to do with it because this is a really big episode in terms of let's just call it the snake. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm sure read really well. I bet this was a great script. And then I'm sure they all went, wow, I don't know how we're going to do that. And just in this viewing, I, I thought, okay, there's a rubber snake, and okay, that's CGI, or okay, that's this. But I went, I think they did as best they could, including <laughs> – somewhat comical but i think it works um buffy jumping up onto the rock and and <laughs> rock strangling it um, yeah you know so if and, and i'm sorry i kind of opened with this just by saying if you can kind of get past what this read like and how difficult it was to achieve this i i think they did as best they could especially for you know 19 years ago so right? the yeah the the sobek demon the the big rubber snake uh, is I feel like it's the stumbling block for most people with this episode. It's the thing that people are like, "Oh God, it's the dumb snake episode." Yeah. Um, I, and they're not bad. I, I, well, I would say, <laughs> so I don't think it's a particularly inspired choice for the monster MacGuffin of this episode. And uh, David Fury has gone on record as saying that when he, I don't know how the script was written. But when he was originally conceiving it, at least his initial idea was that this demon, the Sobek demon, would be some sort of either like a blobby kind of creature or some sort of insect-like creature. And according to him, it was Marty Noxon that convinced him to make it a snake. So, again, I have my feelings about Marty Noxon. If you do at home, blame Marty Noxon for the for us having a repeat of the mayor, you know, of a of a giant snake monster. But what I, I do, I do love at least the throwaway that Buffy says, "Not Mayor Big." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they at least acknowledge it. Um, 
what so what I will say about the Sobek demon is first the visual effects the 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 CGI of her jumping off the rock and strangling it with the snake <laughs> among the worst CGI effects they've ever had on the entire run of the show they've yeah, done the they've done some stuff that's laughable they've done some stuff that's that's you know pretty impressive the shot of it trying to buck digital buffy off its back i was like oh man yeah. this is rough you know and, and it's, it's interesting because they they've done much better monster work when they do it practically mm -hmm. you well, know that's that's the... in season one or whatever she is, you know, the, the substitute teacher. Right. Yeah. Um, even the, this, this frat boy snake, the frat. I remember that was, was that season one or two? Something. It, yes, it was. I, yeah, <laughs> exactly. One or two. I do remember, uh, discuss it when I was discussing that episode saying I was like truly impressed with the practical effects, the makeup effects and everything, the prosthetics that went into that, the, the, um, the frat boy snake. Yeah. And that's the same thing I'm actually going to say about this Sobek demon. So the dig I don't think it's a particularly inspired decision to have the monster MacGuffin be another giant snake. They there were better things they could have done. I feel like the digital effects were laughably awful, yeah. but I genuinely think that the practical effects, the physical stuff that they did on set were were among some of the best. So this this practical effect snake had a flicking tongue that yeah. it, it constantly flicked. Um, and it had nictitating membranes. It had the, the third eyelid thing that snakes have that would blink whenever it was. I, I just thought physically, like in the up close shots where you could tell this is actually something on set. I thought it looked really good. So, and as goofy as the Buffy punches the rubber monster in the face fight scene was, uh, at the end, as goofy as that may have come across, because there was once you got out of digital effects territory, there was a sort of a long shot of her continuing to pummel the dead or unconscious snake. And it was very clearly a big rubber, like blow inflatable thing <laughs> that that she was just punching. So it was a little bit laughable. The scene yeah, itself in context was actually pretty movingly cathartic because Buffy's struggle in this episode is that she she needs something to hit. <laughs> Like, right. like she's so used to fighting these monsters with her fists or, or, you know, with weapons that, and now she's in a situation, uh, meaning her mother's health where she can't do anything. And so, yeah, that's, 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 yeah, I was, I was going to go there as well, just in saying it's, it's, it's a shame that we're having to qualify the effect work because, it is a big moment when she beats the crap out of the snake. That is a, like you said, a cathartic moment. It's, I feel like we're justifying it by, by talking about what it looks like instead of what it, but, oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was what it was. I, so we can't write this show off based on how, how good or bad the effects are. We wouldn't have made it five seasons into this show if we had a problem with oh, that stuff. Um, and look, I mean, in, in aside from this, in in that sense, to me, that is part of the monster of the week thing for for this episode, mm -hmm. um, because the really the really good parts of this episode are all about Joyce. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I would say that one of the one of my favorite things about this episode, actually, obviously the Joyce stuff is great, but one of my favorite things is that um, as as I slash we alluded to in our previous conversation. 
um, Tara is now finally fully incorporated into the group. Oh yeah. Following family when she, when, you know, she, she gets embraced by the entire group. She gets brought into the family. Um, now we get, uh, fantastic scene of her actually helping with research not just helping with research in that she's sitting at the table flipping through books but she actually is the one that speaks up and makes the suggestion and actually says something that has giles take off his glasses and clean them in in that very thoughtful hmm interesting sort of way that he always does yeah there's, there's something new you mean and it's such a great moment when she just goes no or something old right yeah uh, yeah that's a great moment and then, you know, that's a, that is a great moment, which goes right into the reveal of Glory being in there. Which um, is great. Which is great. And then it's capped by Giles finishing his thought of whatever he says, you know, she could be anywhere. She will, <laughs> she will make herself known. That is so classic. <laughs> that is so classic. Um, and, you know... So that scene is great because it gives us that classic humor bit with them. You know, he so helpfully smiles and sends her on her way. And please come again. She could be anywhere. Um, uh, so, you know, obviously that's the, the patented Buffy humor that we get. But uh, that scene was also telling because it told, it, you know, we learned something about Glory in that scene. First of all, now we know her name, I think. Is Shadow when we get it or is it the next one? No, it's in Shadow. We learn, we, the audience, learn Glory's name. And and the Scoobies. Okay. Okay. Here, here, somebody call her Glory. Yeah, Glorificus Glory. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, that teaches us something about her that, uh, because that was led into, uh, that was foreshadowed by her saying, "Oh, I'm gonna," you know, Drake tells her, uh, Marshall tells her, "You need to get uh, spell components," and she's like, "Oh, I'll get it. I'll get everything." And you think, "Oh man, she's about to go blow up the magic box," but no, she just walks in and she knows she's who these people are. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she just she buys the stuff. She pays for it. In fact, she she overpays, as Giles says. If it's any consolation, I think I overcharged her. Yeah, and, uh, and I love giving that moment to Anya because she's she too is is often just comic relief. Right. She is the one, you know, the whole hey 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 moment mm -hmm. of her saying, "Wow, you should not have done this. Why would you sell a you know a gun and ammunition together?" <laughs> right. You that's a, that's a great analogy. Like, you cannot do that. Like, why, you know? Um, so it, it's nice when they, what I call upping a character, when they when they remind you that either the villain is smart and isn't duped by, you know, or, you know, your comic relief people. Um, I forget if, if, similarly, if it's in this one or the next one, but there, there's these moments with Xander and Riley, which goes back to their conversation when they're moving out of the basement or something. And, mm -hmm. and and they have the conversation that Riley confides in him, but she doesn't really love me. Right. There are these uh, more insightful moments of Xander picking up on that and talking to Riley, and it and it ups Xander from just sort of being Xander. I, I love. I I give Xander gets so much grief on this show, and rightly so, <laughs> deservedly so. But I am I am impressed with his his turn so far in season five. I. Uh, I, I've said before that uh, the season starts off strong for Xander. Um, like he, he really gets to kind of uh, become a new man in the, at the beginning of the season. And I was like, yeah. I know, I know it doesn't last forever, but I'd forgotten how long it lasts. I mean, we're eight seasons, we're eight episodes in and he's still getting moments where I'm like, man, Xander's like being really mature. And, and he still gets his goofy moments. He still, you know, gets to, gets to be the butt of some jokes, but he also, uh, 
is smart about this stuff in the way a character that has been doing this, you know, living this life for five or six years would be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we I mean, we, we sort of jumped into the magic box, but we can't jump past Spike being in Buffy's house. Oh, when, Lord. <laughs> when Riley shows up. <laughs> oh, were you sniffing her sweater? Yeah. That's a predator thing. It's all right. It's not weird. It's not weird. It's not weird. <laughs> Ah, angry. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, so that's that is that is a funny moment, you know. Um, but then it goes right into sort of a very telling moment between them, um, where Spike's like, "Oh, you didn't hear about this. I did hear about this." Or, "Oh, you know," and it's not quite the Yoko factor, right? But but Spike is, you know, he's he's already starting to not even intentionally at that moment because he's sort of just upping himself but but you know he's like oh riley is he's reiterating without knowing it that riley is on the outside right so you know it's all funny and then becomes telling one, one of my favorite things about that particular exchange is the way it starts because again i i'm i'm a fool for spike uh when he when uh riley like holds him out in the sun to threaten him and then he drags him back in yeah. Uh, Spike has that moment where he's like, uh, you know, he says something about why, if, if you're really with her, why aren't you at the uh, hospital with her or whatever? And he's like, what are you talking about? And Spike is genuinely shocked and, and, you know, uh, and confused. And possibly if you squint just right, like I tend to do, maybe even a little bit, the tiniest bit concerned by the revelation that, oh, what, she didn't tell you? Like, it doesn't immediately, he doesn't immediately dive into, oh, she didn't tell you because you're not her real man or whatever. He gets there. He goes there pretty quickly. But in the initial exchange, he's like, oh, she didn't tell you? She's a, yeah, her mom's sick. Even the, even the what do you call her, the bite-sized one? Even the bite-sized one uh, went. And for just that particular line, he is, he's like part of the group. He's just passing on the information that, yeah, Joyce is sick. That's interesting. I, I, I will relook at that because um, I think it goes back to what we were saying, um, quote unquote, last week. Of it, it's never really a, what impresses me, and, and I think you agreed. Is it, 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 it doesn't always be. It's not always Spike trying to be good. It's just the genuine good part of him coming out naturally. Right. Yeah. yeah. I stuttered through that, but you got that. <laughs> no, I I followed you. I'm with you, and I agree. I think. That's why I liked that moment because I did think that for he's all so Spike's always had this kind of interesting relationship with Joyce where he's you know he's he's implied that he could be threatening to her. I don't think ever necessarily really to her face. Like I don't think he's ever gotten up in Joyce's face and threatened to kill her. Maybe in school art, I can't remember when she hit him with the axe, but like I he sat and drank hot chocolate with her in the house when it like, I don't know. There's just always been something this, this kind of weird pseudo respect maybe that he has for Joyce. Mm-hmm. And so just in that initial line when he's like, Oh yeah, she didn't tell you her mom is in the hospital though. She's really sick. Even, even Dawn went, I was like, Oh, that just for a brief second, that's him expressing like maybe possibly genuine concern. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. anyways, right. anyways, um, what else? 
what else? We touched on this earlier, um, but I think it's a very key scene and again, deft writing in that they have the medical mystical conversation mm-hmm. um, about, you know, Buffy, cause I, and I think you have to go here. Buffy's initial reaction is we've done a lot more with much bigger, badder things. We have to find a spell that will fix my mom. Um, that feels like a natural place for a character in this show to go. So I was really impressed that they say, no, we can't do that. Um, and, and they were going to, and it's, and it's more for us, the audience to say, no, this is not going to be fixed by a spell. This right. isn't going to be a one episode issue. This is a, a truly medical issue that we are going to have to deal with on a, on a very human level on, on the human half of our show, nowhere near in a sense, the supernatural part of our show. Mm-hmm. I think that was key in this episode. Yeah, that was great because, I mean, like you said, the characters that have been living in this world, that's where their heads would go, <laughs> obviously. And fans who have been watching the show for five seasons, that's where our heads would go. <laughs> like, if they, oh, hadn't, if they hadn't addressed that, fans would be like, why don't they just use magic? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think it was, it, was, it was, like I was saying, that's what I mean by deft writing. They had just one little scene that just said, no, we're not going to fix this by that. This is a very big issue. You know, we need to deal with this. I actually think it was even more deft than that because they didn't, they didn't really just come straight out and say, no, we can't. Like they were, um, this was another great moment for Tara because it started with Willow and Giles both being kind of like, um, I mean, Giles is like, you know, the medical and the magical aren't really meant to mix and, Willow was like, well, I mean, I'll look, but I don't, I've never seen anything like that. So they don't, they don't just come straight out and say, no, we, we can't, there's nothing, there's nothing we can do to help. Um, but, um, but they are, you can tell like clearly that's, that's what they're saying. They're just trying to break it softly to her. And then Tara, Tara is fully in the group now because she gets to say like for just a second, I was thinking Tara's the new person in the group. If she's the one that, if she jumps in right now when Buffy is this fragile and this like on edge, Buffy could bite her head off. Not literally, mm-hmm. although maybe literally, I don't know. But, um, but she, you know, she's part of the group now. So she gets to say, you know, I've heard stories of people that actually make things worse by trying to do this. And Buffy doesn't say, well, we have to try it. Buffy's just like, Oh, okay. right. you know, Buffy takes her at her word, which is great. Yeah, and then it's you know, and to your point, it's 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 she is in the group, and there's this wonderful moment, and I don't feel, and you know, I'm getting way ahead to the body, um, but there is that wonderful moment where it's just Buffy and Tara sitting together, mm-hmm. and I remember getting to that episode and not feeling like that was weird. Mm-hmm. I I didn't feel like oh she wouldn't open up to Tara or this wouldn't be a moment like why is this being shoehorned? I was just like oh, Buffy and Tara are having this moment. And it's not Willow. It's not Giles. In, in a good way, it was somebody else. Because yeah. I was just talking about, I was so excited that she goes to Giles as the father figure when it's the Dawn thing. Right. And here's a really good moment of her just sitting with a friend. You know, I'm getting ahead again to the body. But she's just sitting there with Tara, and it's this genuine moment that I, I bought. I, I, I agree. Tara. <laughs> I agree. Uh, for considering how sort of awkward she was, and, and I've talked about this on the show, um, uh, 
Amber Benson is a wonderful actress, but her first few episodes were really awkward. And some of that was that the character of Tara was supposed to be awkward. And I'm sure some of it was that, you know, Amber Benson was brought into this ensemble cast and she was the newbie. Yeah. Um, but she absolutely uh, earns her place on the show and, and uh, earns her place as a, a favorite of many, many people. Mm-hmm. So. And they started her off with the, with the stutter which gets a little bit less. I mean, so yes, I agree. She was written um, more awkward than she ended up being. Yeah. In a good way. I mean, you know. Um, So I, uh, here's the benefit of, of recording episodes back to back. What, what are you talking about? No, this is, we recorded this (laughs) different weeks. Um, I, in last week's episode, when I was talking with you, Michael, I alluded to the fact that, in this episode, I was going to have some things to say about characters who are so wrapped up in their own business that they don't notice other people's business. Ah, yeah. um, so specifically what I'm getting at in this episode in shadow um, is that uh, this is when, at least on this rewatch, um, I I'm beginning to see one of the major factors uh, that plays into why so many fans hated Riley or, or claimed to hate Riley. Um, I mean, there's always, there was always this sort of obvious nonsense of, but he's not angel. And that's why some people hated him. But, um, I think as of this episode, it's, it's starting to become clear to me that, uh, Riley's otherwise kind of believable. And I, at least personally think interesting character arc of this existential crisis that he's going through. Mm-hmm. It happens to coincide with you know, that one time that Buffy's mom got brain cancer, (laughs) uh, which, which understandably dominates Buffy's attention. Yeah. And, uh, so I suspect that most fans probably, um, expected every character on the show would stop whatever they were doing, would stop whatever character arc they were on, uh, in order to focus on Buffy and Buffy's mom and all that stuff. And that's not realistic because people's lives don't all just come to a halt. (laughs) You know, it's just not realistic to expect that. And it's not interesting, dramatic storytelling. Um, Riley is going through something and has been going through something like this storyline has been building up for Riley since before. Well, not really. They've been dropping hints about Joyce for a long time, but anyways, since before this storyline, like really took off. Um, And so it's just, Buffy is in a place with her mother and all that where she is, she can't notice what's going on with Riley and that's unfair, but kind of realistic. Right. And I think it's unfair of, uh, uh, this is me uh, uh, throwing rocks at a hornet's nest. I think it's maybe a little bit unrealistic of some fans to have expected Riley to just all of a sudden not, to let go of his insecurity and, and get over his existential crisis just because Buffy is having a major problem. I mean, no, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, this, this isn't the moment that makes me like or dislike Riley. The one thing I do like that they at least give him moments in, and I think it's last episode, this one, maybe even in listening to fear that, you know, he shows up after their fight or whatever, he shows up to Tara's birthday party. That goes all the way back to family. Yeah. Um, you know, he shows up at the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all he says is, I heard. He doesn't really throw a fit that, oh, Spike told me that you were, you know. Yes. I, 
I, I, I actually jotted down a note here that just says, I do like that Riley tries. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of while you were talking that I was like, oh, that's what I kind of meant by it. You know, whatever he's going through, and he is, and that's fine. And some of that is by Buffy pushing him away or not coddling him while she's going through her own thing. But I do want to give him credit for he, he does sort of keep trying despite what he's going through. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is is is, you know, I, I I'm not one of them, and I, I haven't really heard this a lot. But if somebody is saying like, "Oh, Riley should have dropped everything he's doing to go to this," and I'm like, "Well, you know, we see him at the bar, and we see him going through what he's going through, and we know that he's still going through initiative withdrawal, and yet he grabs a birthday gift and he shows up at Tara's party. He shows up at the hospital. He's willing to just." be hanging out with Dawn when he's asked to or whatever. So I, I totally agree with you. And I do think there are the moments in there where they show him where he is being there for Buffy, despite him going through something else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 yeah, it's just interesting. I just feel so bad. For, I know it's super unpopular opinion, but I feel bad for Riley. Um, and yeah, I don't know how much of that was conscious on, I, I can't speak. I do speak for other fans all the time because I'm that kind of jerk, but I realistically can't speak for other fans. I just suspect there was probably a lot of, maybe not conscious, but there was probably a lot of, you know, the, the typically irrational super fan syndrome where people are like, this is Buffy's show and I feel so bad for Buffy. And why is, you know, why is Riley feeling insecure? Buffy's the one that needs a shoulder to cry on or whatever. I just, I imagine some of that was going on and probably played into, um, the, the bum rap. I feel like Riley sometimes got. Yeah. You know, and, and for a lot of fans, you know, myself included, I mean, Riley came into the show three years after we had three seasons of angel. Right. In a, in a, in a very, you know, um, romantic um haunting you know romeo and juliet i mean really big 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 yes the big tragic romance yeah i mean big yeah everything big score big i mean big music i mean as dawn pointed out to riley in this very episode yeah everything was everything was the end of the world with them and we come off of that and then we came into this sort of real relationship Mm mm-hmm um, and it just, it, there was no way it was going to be as exciting and we were, you know, kind of thrust into it. And then all of a sudden it was the initiative thing and blah, 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 blah. Right. And so I think I said, whatever that was, the, I'm sorry, I don't remember, but the episode I did of season four, where I admitted, I, I Riley actually grew on me, um, like whatever it was, the second, third time I watched his episodes, they make more sense. And maybe that's just, you know, me getting older as I do continue watching the show. Mm-hmm. I, I don't dislike him near as much as I did the, on the first airing. Yeah. It's possible that over the years, a lot of people have, uh, have mellowed out on Riley and I'm just still clinging to my old, <laughs> my old <Yeah>. debates, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I I've had, I've had more than a couple guests on the show who, who will not join me in my Riley defense. <laughs> they just simply are not Riley fans, which is fine. That's cool. And I think Nick, Nikki said it well, and I think it's in Bite Me, where where she says, you know, quite often he's just boring. Yeah. 
he's not really he's just vanilla and that's not bad i think it actually i said it, for me it grew on me the more i watched it but he's just not as big and dramatic and you know like we were saying about angel and that was just a tough place to be yeah but i do love i do love the scene that he has with uh with dawn yes so um that's just a, a really nice moment. Like you were saying about her, you know, even Dawn saying, oh, she didn't cry as much with it. And even then, he's not Mr. Broody, I have, I have to go cry about this. I mean, he's he's obviously decided to take her out and try and get her away from the hospital for a little bit. And I think it's a, it's a great moment for him and a great moment for them together. That was that was a, a non-A character scene that did not feel like filler to me. Right. And it's um, the great part. That's the Griffith Park carousel, which in overall fandom, that's the carousel that Walt Disney took his daughters to and he sat on the bench and dreamed up Disneyland. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. That's that's that carousel. Look at you. This is what you bring to the show, man. <laughs> I like it. I, I figured, I, I did find myself wondering what that carousel was. I didn't bother to look it up or anything like that, but I, I did think... That's a that's a real carousel. Like they didn't just build a carousel for this show. That's a real carousel somewhere. I wonder what that is. Oh yeah, I I just took my took my little boy to that last weekend. Awesome. I mean, it's awesome. still it's still there, still operational. It's two dollars to ride. Wow. It has the, the real organ um, that plays. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, super cool. There you go. Um. All right. Is there anything else? I feel there probably should be more to talk about in here because we got some glory stuff but i'm looking at my notes i didn't write an awful lot of stuff about glory yeah i mean i i did jot down i love the moment when the doctor is talking to buffy about what's wrong with joyce and it starts with brain tumor and then, and then the audio drops out yeah there's just that wonderful fade out of him continuing to talk as we're looking at buffy because nothing matters after the words brain tumor yeah yeah. And and I just think that's a beautiful moment that we've all been there. You know, yeah. we've all with with some kind of news that we go, I know you've been speaking for ten minutes, but all I heard was, you know, it's not me, it's you or whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever the level of of the conversation is, it's we, we tune out. I just think that was done really well. And this is we alluded to this last week, but uh this is uh an arc, uh, a little mini arc of Buffy um being forced by circumstances to accept even more responsibility. This is uh, another moment where Buffy grows up and, and we get to see her um, literally and figured, not literally, we, we get to see her figuratively become the parent again, which like you, I think you said last week that we, she's had moments of this before um, where she's taken on much more of like a, an active conscious leader position. And uh, we've had little glimpses we haven't had Dawn very long on the series at this point, but we've seen little glimpses of her when she's not being super annoyed by her sister. We've seen her be kind of responsible and parental, but these episodes we've been talking about in this little arc are where we get to see Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, open the tear ducts again and, yeah. and bring the pain uh, like the scene when she's washing the dishes. And I, I apologize. I forget if that's in shadow or the next one. <laughs> it's the next one. Okay. But there, there are several scenes like the, the scene you were just talking about when she's getting the news from the doctor where uh, she, Sarah Michelle Geller does a, an incredible job of portraying the shell shock that you go through yeah. in that moment where she's got, there are tears in her eyes, but she's not like sobbing. She's not breaking down uncontrollably, but there's just, 
so much going through her head that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. Anytime Sarah Michelle Gellar gets to bring the pain like that, it's super impressive. Yep. Yeah, no, she is, she's great at that and she's great at turning on it. Yeah. You know, she usually go from, from joke to tear or, or the other way around. Um, and then to your point, like when we get to the, the washing the dishes, when she does finally break, it means something. Yeah. I mean, despite her saying to Riley, oh, I can't, whenever that is, I think it's the end of Shadow. She's like, I can't break now because I won't stop. Right. And it's it's important to note that in that scene, the washing dishes scene, like she's by herself. Yes. Like she doesn't do that when, when anyone, particularly Dawn, is around to see it. So. Right. I do, <laughs> I do love the moment when the, it's in, and I'm a huge fan of throwaway comedy. Uh-huh. When the when the customer, the random customer, just comes into the magic shop, and all we hear is Giles say that he doesn't have Aleister Crowley sings. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, that's just amazing. Of all the things he has in that shop, and that's not one of them. And he doesn't have that record. I was like, God, that's great. <laughs> um, 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 I don't remember if. And I just I have a note here, the Riley bite marks. So he lets he lets the one vampire bite him. Right. And the, the turtleneck in either the next episode or it's it's, it's like, the same episode. It's the next scene when he goes to the hospital and he's okay, worried. Okay, so they kind of address that he'd been bitten. Does that ever come back up? I I you're asking the wrong man. I can't remember stuff like that. I'm usually asking the guests, is this something that we ever find out about? I don't because I think it's fairly quick that you know, we, you know, cause we get into, I think it's the next episode that I, we open with the pseudo descent into drugs. Right. As he starts to let them feed on him. Yeah. I don't think this storyline plays out long enough for her to, to like notice a suspicious bite mark or anything. I think, and I, I, spoiler alert, I can't remember, but I think it's possible. Spike is the one that's like, Hey, your boyfriend's out there getting sucked by vampires. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the the learning of it comes fairly quickly. It yeah. might it's not in listening to fear, but it might be the next one. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, it, I don't know how long that was supposed to play out, but I was like, that doesn't really seem like something you'd hide very long. Right. But uh, a thing that I never would have caught, but I, I found in my research is that um, that vampire is. Um, oh Lord! Of course, I don't have the note open on this. Oh, Sandy. Um, the girl's name is Sandy, who apparently is the girl that uh, in Doppelgangland in season three, yeah. uh, Evil Willow bites some girl in the bronze. That was Sandy. Oh, really? Which is weird because Evil Willow, we didn't see Evil Willow turn that girl. We just saw her bite some random girl and drop her to the floor, presumably dead. But apparently she became a vampire and that's who Sandy is. And it's, it's the same actress? It's, a, it's the same actress, supposedly. And that's really funny. I, I did not know that. So, yeah, I didn't know that either. It's a, that's a wiki fact, so don't blame me if it's wrong. But Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to downplay the Joyce stuff at all because it's it's very important and it's very dramatic and it's that's that's the big stuff in this episode. And I, I don't I don't have any witty remarks about it because it's so dramatic or whatever, but 
I feel like I should just say we should not be downplaying. <laughs> right, right. I made a big moment about Alistair Crowley sings not enough about Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're get okay. We can uh, we can talk about Joyce and listening to Fear because the Joyce gets more stuff in listening to Fear, and there's not an awful lot. I don't think I. God bless Jane Espenson. I love Jane Espenson with all my heart, uh, and yeah. she's the writer on Listening to Fear. But Listening to Fear is just not the most memorable of oh, episodes. No. no, 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 no. It's uh, Rebecca Rand Kirshner. It's not um, a. Is it? No. Yeah. It's oh. not a Jane, and I because I love Jane too. Okay. Rebecca um, Rand Kirshner. Who oh, I you're know. right. Wikipedia says that. Uh, in in the source that I got my information from, they listed uh, Jane Espenson. Okay, well, I feel a little better. I'm not to. I don't want to. I'm not going to trash Rebecca Rand Kirshner because she's written good stuff too. But yeah. I, I feel better that this wasn't uh, Jane. Yeah. So listening to fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's li- let's listen to some fear. It's it is a problematic episode. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to say I'm a massive fan of the X Files. I, I just want that out there. I am too, and and you know I am too. And this episode gets gets the X Files reference, um, but that is not okay. it's not in service of the like that's not to praise the episode. This episode is very X Files, but not in a good way. Correct. Yeah, but I think it's because, and correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. But is this really the only sci-fi slash alien slash whatever episode? I think it is. Mm, I. Th- yeah, probably that I can think of. And they even in this episode, they even sort of they have Giles almost kind of hand waved away by saying, you know, demons get to Earth in lots of different ways. This one just happened to come from outer space. Yeah. Um, Something snotting from space is like, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is certainly like at a certain point, even the music, I made note that uh, that. um as I was writing in my notes that, you know, cribbing from the X-Files is not the worst thing that a show can do. And maybe it was unintentional. It wasn't. <laughs> maybe it was unintentional. And then and then a music cue happened and I was like, oh, come on, guys. That, that yeah. sounded like it was straight out of the X-Files. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, you know, I, again, I don't want to say filler. That's the wrong thing to say. But they came off of family and fool to love. And then I feel like there was this this conversation in the writer's room where they went, we have to just get out a lot of information. How do we monster of the week it? How do we make it interesting? And somehow they decided on Big Snake and Alien, you know, Caterpillar. Whatever the Caterpillar is between Caterpillar and Butterfly. You know, (laughs) Chrysalis. Chrysalis. That's, (laughs) they went Big Snake and Chrysalis. Like, you know, I, you know, and the whole alien thing, and then it's—is it—is it sci-fi? Is it a horror film? It was. It was it, taking the knife in the kitchen. Right. I was like, wow, there's horror trope, there's sci-fi trope, and, and again, not in a good way. And I love the X Files, but like the initiative getting called back in to come in and pseudo save them, but not really. I mean, even when the initiative popped up, because I was looking. <laughs> I had read the X-Files complaint uh, before rewatching. And so I was watching it with that in mind. And then like when we first see the monster, I was like, oh, crap, that even looks like I, I have not looked this up. Actually, let me let me jump to Wikipedia, which has never failed me, obviously. <laughs> um, I, 
yeah, I don't recognize any of those names. I was going to say it's even possible that the the actor who was done up in the the alien chrysalis costume uh, might have been Roy something I can't or or something Roy. Um, he's he's a little person who's acted and he had a significant role in a terrible episode of the X Files. Oh. Um, anyways, I was uh, when I saw the creature, I was like, oh, that could even be the same guy from the X Files. This is awful. Um, and then the initiative shows up in a black helicopter shot yeah. in a way with a super bright, like halogen spotlight shot in a way that's clearly meant to echo the similar scenes from the X-Files. Yeah. And then, you know, and we even get like Sam Raimi POV shots from mm-hmm. the alien. Mm-hmm. I just, whatever. although and, I do love, I do love Anya's, yep. Space lamb got him. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, uh, Willow even references to to get even more X Files. Uh, Willow even references the Tunguska blast. Yeah. Um, however, she says it happened in 1908, which is which it did not. <laughs> it happened in 1917. But, oh. But oh, she has. The, that's weird that they would get the. She, well. she got the date wrong. I suppose if you really want to be, if you want to make excuses, you could say in the Buffyverse maybe things happen in a different. You know, the, that happened earlier in the Buffyverse because so much other stuff happened, but. I think they just got the date wrong. That's your Marvel no prize again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So let's try and focus on the, on the good little moments. Okay. Um, I did, I did really like that. They brought back the guy from the warehouse. Yes. Where he's like, I have two daughters, you know, that guy. Right. Um, because for one thing, it just didn't seem like a throwaway killing. Quote, you know, quote unquote earlier, but it also sets up that it is not a killing um, that that glory, quote unquote, reaching in does not kill them, which is a setup to sorry, spoiler to, uh, Tara. I hang on. I don't want to I don't want you to lose your place. Please hang on to where you are. Yeah. Um, but I, I just want to because someone out there listening is screaming at me right now and and. Uh, firing off a very angry email um they mentioned it, it did happen in 1908 the show willow says 1917 it actually oh. happened in 1908 i just want to i just want you to know this episode got it wrong but i just <laughs> i just You're inverted wrong. the numbers so oh, i apologize sure. anyways continue no just i i love when they bring back people or they reference somebody that i mean like like you were saying about like sandy like she's not at least they try and make a, a link to something else. Yeah. So I was glad they brought back Warehouse Guy, but they also set up, obviously a lot of this episode is setting up the madness. Right. Which, again, well, I think what I was saying last week was we, we're getting into some of the necessary, mm-hmm. this is a necessary couple of episodes because of all the information in it, mm-hmm. despite being weird or problematic. But I think that's a big one because it will set up that, you know, Tara... Um, when she gets, um, whatever you call it, I keep saying reached into by glory. <laughs> yeah. Well, that works. Yeah. You know, it's not a killing thing. It's a maddening thing. Lobotomized or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I, I liked that. I love bringing him back. And I love it because, you know, obviously I, you know, I have kids and, you know, so there's that moment in the warehouse when he says, you know, please, I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see them and they're not really mentioned, but he's there with his family and the two girls are there and he's just gone crazy. And I was like, Oh, I, I don't know. It, it, it seemed like a throwaway, but it, it worked for me. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. I like that stuff. I feel like they did that one other time where, uh, 
where we saw, or is that the same guy? I, I, I thought I had in my mind that there was another like security guard somewhere, or we saw her do that to somebody else. And then that person also turned up later, uh, clearly, uh, oh, man. Yeah. Like we saw someone being wheeled into the hospital, maybe. Oh, yeah. I can't remember who oh, it was. Because the one that comes up to Dawn outside the magic box, we only saw being normal, and then he wasn't. Right. I don't think we saw the glory effect yet. Right, yeah, yeah. But I also love the idea that, you know, the seemingly crazy or the seemingly homeless or the seemingly dementia or whatever you want to say uh, are, are either that way for a reason or they have insight or they are smarter than we are. So I love, again, not again, really, but, but when Joss and company will take the seemingly insignificant and raise them up to be better than we think they are. And in this case, it's madness, so it's necessarily better, but it's, hey, let's not toss aside the seemingly crazy because they are trying to tell us something. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I want to ask you this just because I... I brought this up in my conversation with Stephanie and <clears throat> excuse me. And I, I feel like I was kind of clumsy bringing it up. I will probably be clumsy with this again. This is a thing where I, I'm not aware of there being any like significant pushback from fans or academics about the way the show um, is representing mental health. Like the fact that they use the word crazy over and over again. Um, obviously back at the time this aired in 2000, um, we, the culture hadn't reached the point where we were necessarily easily offended by the word crazy, I guess. Mm -hmm. But now it's a different time now. And I feel like just some of the sort of casual references that this show makes to people being crazy or being, you know, uh, insane or whatever, I'm not bothered by it. And I'm not aware of, of any large group of fans that have like written essays about how it's problematic, but it seems, I wonder if this is the kind of thing that maybe um, in hindsight seems uh, problematic or ill-advised or, or, I don't know, insulting. I, I, I have not heard it about Buffy. I will say, just because it's also Joss, mm -hmm. there is the one thing I did hear a little bit of pushback on and... I think listeners will just know it because it's Jaws. Um, there is a line, a lyric in Dr. Horrible where Neil Patrick Harris says special needs anyways um, as a lyric in a song. Uh -huh, right. And it's, it's not too on, it's not too on the nose derogatory. Um, and it is in a Dr. Horrible lyric. Right. I mean, I mean, as the character, it's not like Penny saying it. Yeah. It is him. I, I have heard pushback on that, and again, more in hindsight, not even when it originally aired. Yeah, yeah. More, much more so than anything in, in Buffy. Um, it's an interesting point, and I think it's worth talking about, but yeah, no, I, I haven't. I, do, I don't know why I'm so hung up on it, because like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I am not finding any of it necessarily offensive. I just, it seems like the kind of thing that I would have heard about. So here's the, here's my pledge to you listeners, assuming that any of you listeners are future guests on this show. I'm going to stop bringing this up because I'm not getting anywhere <laughs> with it. Uh, if, if any of my listeners and future guests 
have thoughts on this, please let me know. I will bring these to me and I'm going to stop fishing for this kind of stuff because I, maybe it's just not that big a deal. Well, I think, I think it goes back to what I was trying to say and maybe I wasn't as eloquent, but typically, you know, the, the quote unquote crazy people or the quote unquote homeless or the quote unquote whatever tend to be, Joss tends to, or Joss and company tend to write them smarter or better or more insightful, mm-hmm. you know, in a good way, they're special. They are, they are trying to tell us something. We should be listening right. and blowing them off. And I, and I, I think that's maybe what separates, you know, um, this. I've always said, you know, you have the, your three smartest TV writers are Joss Whedon, um, Aaron Sorkin, and I am totally blanking on his name, and I apologize. Michelle Pfeiffer's husband that did Boston oh, League. Uh, 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 <laughs> David Kelly. David Kelly, yeah, thank you. David Kelly. Those are your three <laughs> TV writers, yeah. and I and I just bring up TV writers because they are the ones doing eighty-five, a hundred, hundred and fifty episodes yeah. of content. Yeah, and you know, Aaron Sorkin takes the cream of the crop, and you know, in a sense, makes them real. I don't want to say tears them down, but he's like you know, presidents, studio mm-hmm. executives, and whatever, and he's he's starting at the top and making them real. Human, David humanizes to be. David E. Kelly tends to be kind of right in the middle, you know, and yes, they're doctors and they're lawyers, but they tend to be real people dealing with real lives. And I've always said that Joss Whedon tends to go to the ground and he, you know, he takes the geek and the, and the high school student and, or the, the ragtag bunch of sci-fi heroes and, or the vampire with a soul, whatever. He kind of goes to the bottom and lifts them up. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that kind of, permeates a lot of a lot of his storytelling interesting i like that uh, comparison um all right so it, we still haven't talked very much about joyce but before we before we talk about joyce um there is at least one very very significant uh development or or piece of information i guess that we get out of this um and that's the uh the whole i knew there was something about that ben guy Oh yeah, you know, and and I like that. Even this is where he's like he's walking out to the car, and Marshall shows up again. Yeah. So I, I like that they <laughs> Marshall. That's terrible. No, it's fine. It's fine. I was I'm gonna let it go. It's he's Marshall. Um, and I like that even that moment is sort of even set up as a red herring of is he a bad guy? Is he not? What does he know? And then it's it's kind of punched at the end where. <clears throat> You know, Marshall is like, sir, or he, yeah, there's yeah. obviously a respect thing there. Yeah. And then he says, look, I've just been cleaning up her mess, or I'm cleaning up her mess just like I always have. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh, wait a second. He is like a nice guy, but not nefarious, but something else is going on. I think that's I a mean, great moment. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, yeah, you don't really know what to think because I, I on the one hand, he's he he summoned the Queller demon, right? Am I, am I getting these facts right? He's the one that summoned the Queller demon, the the stupid, stupid alien slug, yes. snot monster chrysalis thing. Uh, so he's the one that summoned that, which means, and he did it to clean up Glory's mess. But what that means is he he was setting this creature out to kill these uh, these yeah. crazy people. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, in a in typical Joss Whedon fashion, you're like, is is he a bad guy? Oh, that doesn't sound like that could possibly be good, but he seems like I don't know. You just you you can't quite tell, right? What to think of him and and um, yeah. No, and that goes back to what I was saying of of in rewatching this particular season, all those moments I think are even better knowing who they are. Right, knowing where it's going. Yeah. Which I don't know why we're being spoiler. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, it's weird the things that I choose to be coy about <laughs> the spoiler show. But I think just because the the this reveal actually is a joke in the show, <laughs> like they make the whole there's something about that Ben guy is a joke that the show plays. And so I'm just going to I'm going to run with it. Sure. I'm going to pretend like I can't remember who Ben is every time. Um. All right. I do like the moment where Dawn saves her mom yes. before freaking out. Yes. You know, she kind of runs in there, freaks out, but then grabs the, the coat rack or whatever it is mm -hmm. and punches the deal. I mean, she's kind of like deals. And then she goes, okay, I should probably scream now. Yeah. And I was like, okay, good. <laughs> Give her that. Yeah, no, I like, I liked that scene. Um, I, uh, okay, I'm going to continue my thought process about the whole uh, people being tied up in their stuff and not noticing other people's stuff. Oh, um, because in this one, uh, we get, I mean, again, it's Buffy obviously has other stuff on her mind. Uh, but what that means, what she is too distracted to notice this time around are things like, th this is another example of Spike clearly doing something helpful uh, in in a very not spike like way, where like he's in her house and she and she's all prepared to be like, what 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 are you doing in my house? Are those pictures of me? Uh, but then he helps in the fight and like he grabs the knife and he tosses it to her. I don't know. There's just it's a thing that goes. She never comments on it. She doesn't. She doesn't even blink. Like she doesn't register the fact that oh, I just won this fight because like that thing was about to eat my face and Spike threw me a knife. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just like the whole thing in family when he punched, uh, you know, when she just accepted that Spike just revealed an important clue to us or, you know, um, I feel like if there was less going on in Buffy's life, she might have the presence of mind to say, to, to question at least what's going on. Oh, I mean, you mean like to really question why he's in the basement and has the photos? that or what I you know, actually what I'm talking about is the fact that Spike, you know, Spike is, he's being awfully helpful. Just the fact that he was there, like he, he didn't have to throw her that knife. He he could have just, okay. He could have just sat there and watched that thing, chew her face off as it clearly was about to do. Um, yeah. And, you know, he didn't have to punch Tara in the face to prove, Hey, she's not a demon. Like, I don't know. She's distracted with the whole mom thing. And so she's not, paying attention to the fact that spike is more and more making himself available for seemingly for not like she's not paying him. <laughs> do, you, do you think that the moment at the end of family where she's broke, she has broken down and he comes over and sits next full, to her full for love. Let's him. Do you think that's her saying, I, 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 I have, not saying I have seen everything that, that you're doing and that's why I'm not threatened at this moment or we're not fighting. She just accepts that he's there and it's not the worst thing in the world. It's my, my, am I paying, am I 
retconning that too much. No, I mean, it's possible. That certainly is a way to read that. That was the end of Fool for Love. When he, you're talking about when he goes to with the shotgun. Sorry, the end of Fool for Love, yes. Yeah. When, he, when he's sitting there, <coughs> she lets him. And pats, he, he pats he her on the back. With the shotgun. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention it in our discussion of that. My memory of that was that um, he kind of, he realized... I remember that scene playing out as he walks up with a shotgun, sees that she's like distraught and crying and puts the shotgun down before she looks up and notices him or whatever. I, what I remembered is that she was so, uh, again, I wasn't thinking of it in these terms, but tying into what we're talking about right now is that she's distracted. She's got other stuff on her mind. So she looks up and she, she registers that it's spike there, but she doesn't, she's not thinking, what? wait, why has he got a shotgun? Like she's just not in a state of mind to th- notice that um but re-watching it i'm like no he wasn't he was not hiding the shotgun at that point she looks up she clearly sees him he's holding the shotgun out in front of him like he's about to use it um but i still i still kind of read that as she is devastated she is super super in her head at that moment because she's just found like like she's broken down he could have killed her at that moment and she probably wouldn't have put up a fight um so it is it is possible i guess to read that scene as she she allows him to sit next to her and kind of plays a hand on her shoulder because she doesn't feel threatened by him uh but i still i continue to read it as she was just so much she was so devastated and in her own head she wasn't even really kind of registering what was going on you're, that's you're not wrong. Okay. Maybe maybe there, maybe it's a little of both. Yeah. That's that's without question the first half of it, and then maybe she accepts the pat on the back. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I have such a problem with Buffy and Spike together that I think I'm <laughs> and, I, and I love Spike as 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 you know and as we talked, about, but I, I I think I always look for. The moments where I go, why does Buff? Why does Buffy fall for him? Mm-hmm. Where are the building up moments? Well, to be fair, I'm not sure she ever does fall for him. <laughs> I, I agree. You know, um, I agree because I like their repartee. Like when they get into, like once more with feeling, and she says, like, "What else would I want to pump you for?" Did I just say that? Yeah. 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 I like them when they're like that, you know, and or I even like the sort of sort of hate effing, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, I, I get. I, so I, I'm just I'm just looking for those moments that make the very, very end when she says I love you and he says no, but it's nice of you to say that. I'm 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 always looking for those moments to give them a genuine caring moment. So you're, you're looking for, you're looking for rationalizations for why she might've actually meant that at the end of the series. Yeah. It's it's not even building to that moment specifically, but like why we would have a spuffy relationship. Like where are the beats that make her turn at all, at all from, from you're beneath me to, you know, from, from her just, I would never, Ever. Well, well, this is uh, so I think it was last week when you said uh, very emphatically that you have problems with season six. Um, I do. Yeah. I don't think I've hidden. I don't think I've been coy about this. 
I also have problems with season six. So it is going to be very interesting when this podcast reaches that point and we start and I start having guests on the show, you included, who are coming on to to talk about season six because some people love it. Some people hate it. I don't know if I hate it, but I have very strong opinions about it. And um, like I said, I, for, for years and years, I've been such a passionate, spuffy, uh, mostly a passionate Spike fan. And that makes me a sort of passionate, spuffy fan um, that I, it might be different this time. I may watch it and consciously be able to to acknowledge verbally out loud and admit, yeah, they don't. They do not belong together. I will always be a fan of Spike and I will always look for ways to think man they could have made it work if only but i just don't think uh i think when we get to that point the conversation is going to be more about how uh at that point buffy is really deeply damaged she is deeply traumatized and and, and she is and, and i buy that and you and know. not not making the best decisions so whereas i feel like spike I think Spike is always pretty much genuine in trying to make that relationship work. I'm not entirely sure that Buffy ever really is genuine in wanting that to be a relationship. So, right, she's cookie dough. Well, God, I hate, <laughs> I hate the I hate the cookie dough line, but we'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. Um, but yes, I, I I take your point. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's gonna man. So those are gonna be some fun conversations. <laughs> to have when we get there uh but um, it's not just it's not just the the spike buffy stuff like i told you you know last week or we said i think it was last week whenever whenever it was there there are there are big character moments in in throughout the season that don't make any sense to me yeah so yeah um yeah, but that, but uh, also not to scare anybody off. If you're playing along with us and have not watched season six, there's there are great things in season six. So yes, well, once more with feeling and normal again. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Afterlife, but specifically for some Spike stuff. <laughs> See, so you get three episodes that are good. Uh, there's probably there's probably more than that, but there yeah, are more. yeah, there are there are more. Well, I think I said last week, and I and I do mean this. What what constantly surprised me about rewatching some of these episodes in, in terms of consciously thinking about them are the little moments that re surprise me mm-hmm. just, just like either a throwaway joke, like the Alistair Crowley sings or a little tender moment or a little bit of exposition or setup or whatever that I go, Oh man, I forgot that they did do that there. Yeah. Or I forgot that they set that up there, or paid that off there. And that, that does continue throughout yeah. the series. Um, all right. Hey, before we get out of this, we, we keep saying that we don't talk enough about Joyce and then we keep not talking about Joyce. So I, I, I will start us off by, uh, it'll be weird to say, I'm going to start us off talking about Joyce by quote, by commenting on the closing scene of the episode, the very last yeah. scene. My, my note here it's is, great. my note here is, man, they really played up the closing shot as if it was the last time any of us were going to be seeing Joyce. Yeah. They stay, they really wanted us to think, Oh, this is it. Everybody burst into tears because I mean, they even had the whole group there yeah. <laughs> watching her be carted off into the, into the operating room. And I'm sure we were meant to think, well, that's it. Joyce is gone. Yeah. But, but I, I also like that moment just because, you know, you were talking about what you were saying and you're right in that everybody still has their own lives going on despite a dramatic event. Mm-hmm. I do like that. There's no way really, 
really, if at all possible, there's no way that Giles and Xander and Anya and Willow and Tara and whatever would not be there for right, that. Right. So I like that they at least gave us that. No, it was great. I, it was totally believable. And I love the fact that they were all there. I just, the way that scene was framed and they very, like, I oh, think yeah. it was even an over the show. Like we were looking over uh, the table that she was being wheeled on to see the entire cast in the background lined up. I was like, Oh guys, come on. You might as well just put RIP <laughs> Joyce Summers <laughs> or whatever on the screen. But, um, but I love the scene, the scene right before it, the, the last scene with uh, uh, Buffy and Joyce. Um, oh, the revelation. Yeah. And, and the idea that Joyce knows something's off and yet still has that motherly instinct and is still like, we need to do this. It kind of bookended the conversation that Buffy had with Giles of, right. we know something's wrong, but we are going to circle the wagons and be family about this. And I thought it was also really great that they did not drift to the doorway to have Dawn over here. And there wasn't a, a, a bigger what's happening moment. It was just this conversation, just like the Buffy Giles one. It was just this conversation with Buffy and her mother about here is what the reality is. Here is what, you know, here's what we're dealing with. Your instincts are not wrong, but we are choosing to deal with this together. I really like that moment. I'm glad you pointed that out. I just, I'm just realizing that these this block of four episodes that you and I have just spent two weeks discussing <laughs> the first shot of the first episode we talked about family was the father daughter scene between Giles and Buffy. And we talked about that. We commented on how touching that scene was and the last shot, practically the last shot of the last episode that we're going to be talking about here. Uh, listening to fear is the mother daughter, uh, yeah. the Joyce hey. and, Thing. And okay. both those conversations were focusing on the fact that Dawn is not is not human on, on what Dawn is. It feels I was about to say not a real person. And that's that's brutal. <laughs> but yeah. um, it's that conversation both times and both times less so in the hospital. But I'm glad you pointed out how great it was that uh, that the camera didn't pan over and we saw that uh, Dawn was eavesdropping i'm glad sure. you mentioned that because uh i did have that thought during the buffy giles scene i would mm -hmm. remember thinking this is where the camera pans up and she's sitting at the top of the stairs listening to the whole conversation so it's i i didn't plan it this way for you and i to discuss these four episodes that would bookend with the father daughter and the mother daughter scene but it just worked out yeah it was, yeah yeah i think family yeah, family has that little opening with the kitty cat. Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, there is there is this. That's yeah. You're right. There is this this. If you you pointed out of there there being the maturity growth with Buffy. Yeah. And it was very it was very uh, mature evolving of you because you hate Buffy. <laughs> I, I I I. We all I, grew up a little bit. I struggle with my love for Buffy. How about that? <laughs> You're getting lenient on Buffy. I'm getting lenient on Spuffy. So. Okay. All right. We're both softening in our old age. Is that what it is? But uh, no, I think it's, I think it's a really important scene. I, you know, when Joyce says, I want you to be honest with me, you know, and Buffy is, and she goes, you're not wrong. They don't need to get into, she's a key and she's mm -hmm. been sent in glory and, 
you know, there's a there's a moment where Joyce even I don't think it's this episode where she's like, you don't need to stay in the hospital. You need to go patrolling. Yeah, you know, yeah. we've gone from Buffy saying you've never seen you know, you've never washed blood out of my clothes and not known what I've been doing yeah. to Joyce being accepting and supporting and understanding. But they, they don't need to get into the key and glory and the danger of it all. This is all about a mother and her two daughters and coming to grips with something being wrong, but I still love you. That was big. For a, for a, for a really weird episode. It was a, <laughs> a nice moment. Yeah. There's good stuff in an episode that also had a unnecessary X-Files crap. Um. All right. Well, I mean, it's it's fine. It's the early seasons of the series, some of the I like I can't remember if it was last week or this week. Oh, it was this time because I think it's when we were talking about the snake, the Sobek demon, the the snake monster, and you, uh, you spared some kind words for uh, teacher's pet with the the giant oh, praying yeah. mantis, and I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, was the praying mantis good? I remember it being horrible but i guess you're right the physical practical effects were good the episode was crap yeah but you know it's it's interesting too because i've seen and and there's a little bit of this in 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 talking about the effects but when you know when buffy first aired it was the first season of buffy was shot on 16 millimeter film mm-hmm. and and was lit very differently and even was was finished and broadcast very differently if you watch buffy on I'm going to pick one Hulu or something. That's that's what I'm watching it on right now. Yeah, and when you watch season one, like right now, it is a completely different transfer. It is it's been uh, chopped because you know the first two seasons of Buffy were one three three. Mm-hmm. They were square with you know, and now you're seeing them wide, and they've been retransferred and lit and relit like lightened quite a bit. Yeah, um, and that takes away from you know some of that moody stuff they were hiding in those first couple of seasons. And that's just why I think they work better. I, I don't know how great the, the Mantis looked. It felt better yeah. back then because they were working around those parameters. And I'm like, I don't know that we needed to see seven shots of, you know, the the Giles convertible chasing the Slytherin thing down the road. <laughs> kind of that wasn't it. that was an extended car chase that didn't Yeah. yeah. Like we get it. It's just we, we can get there and we can see less and let our minds kind of, I don't know, very odd choices. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, all right. Okay. But, uh, I, I think, uh, unless there was anything that you uh, wanted to mention, I, I went through all my notes. I, I did as well. Okay. I think, um, I think we've beaten this dead horse. So yeah, we, um, we cleared Jane Espenson's name. So I'm so sorry. I feel terrible about that. I need to, I need to go back and I can't remember what source I was looking at that I got that from, but either I misread it or they are terribly wrong. So that's so funny. I yeah. apologize. Um, it, it makes so much more sense though. Cause this did not feel like a Jane Espenson episode. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Michael, uh, you as always have been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank for you very much. Coming very kind. And, and I, I do genuinely enjoy it. So I hope to do it again. Well, I think I'm up for, uh, at least another one this season and, and hopefully more. Yes. Uh, so, uh, I, I'm famous for never looking <laughs> when I'm recording these episodes, I never have my guest schedule document open and, uh, I do this time. So I'm looking at, ahead at the schedule. I have you down for the gift. Excellent. The season five finale. So, Excellent. Um, 
Yeah, can't wait to get to that. Uh, in the meantime, you were, you were talking about um, uh, super smart uh, television writers. Yes. Um, and I would, I would include David Milch in, oh, that, yeah. in that collection of super smart television writers, yes. uh, which is appropriate since uh, you, sir, were the, let me make sure I get this right, the project manager? Is that right? Project manager project for manager. the Deadwood movie. Yes, for the Deadwood film. Man, I am so super jealous of that. Uh, so that's just one small example of the the super cool uh, life of Michael Holland. No. Is, <laughs> is is there anything else that you want to yeah. share with our listeners? Any other projects or anything like that? Any? And it does it does sound better. I mean, I, I'm very lucky that I get to work on certain things through through over my career, just being at post facilities or being a post supervisor on the show. I got to work with Allison Hannigan on Penn and Teller Fool Us. Mm. Um, you know, so I mean, sometimes those those little moments just kind of obviously I freaked out. I was going to say, did you have a geek out moment? Absolutely, awesome. Um, and, she, and she could not be nicer. She is she is the she is exactly how you want her to be and expect her to be, um, which was which was great. You know, but like that's that's a great moment. And just recently, you're very kind enough to point out I was lucky enough to be able to work on on the Deadwood movie, and David Milch is um, a great writer and a great a great man. That's very kind of you to point out. Well, it's it's very kind of you to have participated in those projects and brought such an incredible thing to our lives because that uh, Deadwood film was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like one of those. I mean, it's. I, I think you and I have talked about this before, but like, I, I was. I mean, just by luck, I was working on Glee when Joss was on it. Oh my gosh! So yeah. that was that was you know, like the moment where I like Tex Avery'd. Like my jaw, my jaw hit the floor, and you know, it was like, you know, say something, say anything that's that's coherent. Uh, I uh, I met James Marsters. I, I went to Dragon Con uh, one year. Only I I hate big conventions and huge crowds. Cannot stand them. Uh, but I, my wife and I, at the time, my fiance and I, went to Dragon Con when James Marsters was there, solely to meet James Marsters and hand him a personalized invitation to our wedding. Wow. Which he took graciously and he didn't read right there in front of us. So I, I only, I can only have faith that he did eventually read it, but uh, he, he sadly did not attend our wedding, but I blame Allison and Alexis for that because they got married two days before us. Their wedding was uh, on October 11th uh, of 2003 want to make sure I'm getting these years right. And ours was uh, October 13th, 2003. Wow. So they got married the same weekend as us. And I, I assume that they stole Marsters from us. That's why he didn't come to our wedding. Did he at least send something? <laughs> he did not. He did. <laughs> yeah. we, we never got any response. But meeting but meeting him in the short, like I told him what it was. He knew it was an invitation to the wedding. I'm sure he was like, are you kidding me? But he was yeah. super, super nice and gracious and, and just as pleasant as you could possibly hope but. that's great you know that's the, those are the moments you want like you're like i don't think he's going to come to my wedding but when it happened and you he was gracious about it and you got to shake his hand i mean i you know i'm, I'm lucky that i get to drive on to a lot every day yeah. and we're like do you love that do you hate it or whatever and i'm like look if you work in this business and you are not excited by driving onto a studio lot every day get out of this business <laughs> yeah yeah i genuinely say that to people because i'm like these are the little things that should excite you 
Yeah. You know, like when somebody geeks out because they go to a convention and they meet somebody, I'm like, yes, please always tell that story and always be excited about it. Because that's, you know, that's why we watch TV or that's why we want to tell our own stories is to is to just have those moments. Because it's not the 16 hour days that we're working <laughs> on, on whatever, on Deadwood or on anything. You know, it's, that's not what. <laughs> Those are not the fun stories, you know, these yeah. others are. And we should continue to be excited about them. Amen. Well said. All right, Michael. Well, thank you again. And uh, thank you, everybody at home, for listening and for playing along. You can find links to this and all of our, our past episodes, including all of the great episodes that Michael has been on uh, at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. Uh, and if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you just want to share your thoughts on any of the stuff that we've talked about, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on the Facebook group, Conversations with Conversations with Dead People. Uh, next week, PhD student, slayage contributor, and fellow Spuffy fanatic Jessica Houch returns to discuss episodes 510 Into the Woods and 511 Triangle. Uh, until then, grr arg, everybody. Grr arg. Mm-hmm.